Is that better than Mace Tyrell going, I'll give you a god to the Titan of Bravos? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, his best one is, the, the crowd will pay us back or I'll have words with my daughter. Or I'll have words <laughs> with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody laughs. Silence. Absolute silence. It's, yeah, I like Mace. Mace is an easy target. Mace, Mace and he's so good. He's gone for a while. Very now. easy target, yeah. He's so good. Mm-hmm. See, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> an unorthodox way to begin our episode, to say the least. Yeah. Um, oh, hello, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Hello. I got nothing. No. Um, <laughs> talks of Mace Tyrell. Can we just have an appreciation for him, though? Can we just do that right now? Can oh, we yeah. share it with each other? He's just the punching bag of the small council. But he doesn't know it. That's what makes it <laughs> so, so good. You know, this takes me back to what uh, Lady Olena said about all of the men in her family, right? I mean, this is a prime example of how she was actually right. Um. They're they're just missing a few ounces of 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 sense, really. And, and Mace doesn't have sense enough to be afraid. He's too busy being honored by all of the the greatness that Cersei and the king, you know, by extension, are showing him. Oh, my own king's guard, <laughs> his escort to Bravos. Yeah, it's Sir Marin Trent. Like, it's Cersei's personal private, the guy who she carries with her every time she wants him to guard her life Ooh, this is lovely he's the current head of operations acting executive of mace hardware he's a blue collar man he has been enjoying the riches of his family's uh riches for the past several years and now he's getting he's getting inclusion in in government proper and i think that he's tickled i think that's a good word for it he's just tickled to death he's having a great time he's a king's guard is Escorting him to Bravos, where he will give his regards to the Titan for the crown. I mean, this is this is Mace Tyrell's dream right now. His daughter's the queen. Can you just imagine that though? Him coming up on the Titan of Bravos, he he seems like the type of guy that would even speak to the Titan oh, and, and actually give the regards. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> Oh well, boy! The Titan would you speaks, do the same thing? Doesn't he? Yeah, the Titan speaks back, right? That yeah, Mike, uh, are you really blows. asking that question? Yeah, of course I would. <laughs> I talk to squirrels that I see on the ground. Of course, I'd talk to the Titan. This explains so, so much. much. You you knew that about me. No, but the Titan uh, would speak back. That you right? talk would, to squirrels. He would bellow that like uh, Titan does bellow. That's the very fair. Of the season he does he does bellow back. It's a very so. large bellow. No, I I just I think. I, I guess any any discussion of 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 this scene would would follow uh, the question: Do you guys think he's going to actually make it to to Bravos to give his regards to the Titan? I mean, what exactly is the game plan here? It's it seems legit. Cersei's like, we need to send somebody big to get the to show our respects to the Iron Bank, who we owe all this money to. After all, they only called in one tenth of the debt that the Crown has to them, and one tenth. And uh, it was enough to get an in-person visit to, quote, negotiate better terms. But uh, I, I do we think that she's just getting him out of the way or does she really? I mean, I think in, he's a hostage, too. This is our second episode of the week. 
and Eric and the rest of us are picking up directly. You guys feel like we're picking up directly where we left off? I do. Your, your question almost perfectly sets up this large question, which is, what is Cersei up to? On one hand, only one-tenth of the debt has been called and can be actionable. On the other hand, let's make the queen uncomfortable. Idea. Let's send her lord father away with Marin fucking Trent. Aren't you and mother getting along? <laughs> oh, Tommen. Eric, I, I think that you ask a lot of good questions as they relate to Cersei's motivation because clearly we've seen her alienate people that could be of value to her. Now she is dispersing people around her that could be of threat to her. And, you know, going back to the first couple episodes of the season, we know Jamie is now in Dorne. So somebody who would be protecting her mm -hmm. uh, in certain situations is extremely far away from her and is dealing with his own situation. We saw her uncle uh, go back to Casterly Rock, and now she's faced with the situation of, of having to deal with the Tyrells. And she she's the best way for her to be able to get to Marjorie is through her family. And we see that with, with Mace kind of unknowingly sending him off to uh, Bravos mm -hmm. uh, on a mission, on a quest, which he seems, he sees to be as something that's extremely uh, valuable. Right. And, mm -hmm. and also what she then does to Loris, uh, which we'll get to later on in this episode. But I think the only way she would be able to play that card is if Mace is not in the picture and she makes a point of getting rid of him before she, has that conversation with the High Sparrow and goes after Marjorie's brother. Well, she doesn't go after Marjorie's brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't in By extension. <laughs> it's very, very deftly done how she – I enjoyed watching that in this episode quite a bit, her just sweeping the board of Tyrells, really. And Marjorie is potentially distracted so much by the absence of her brother and eventually father that – you know, maybe she'll uh, not as quickly be able to completely remove Cersei because, I mean, Marjorie wasted no time. We talked about this. I wanted to ask the question about the Tyrells and whether or not they're actually Cersei's enemy because in the end they're married to Tommen. Like they they require the Lannister – or sorry, the Baratheon. They require Tommen for, for, for their power. And so even though Marjorie wasted no time uh, – insulting Cersei there's a potential there for her to be her life at least to be safe yeah uh, whether it's safe as queen mother or you know back in Casterly Rock or something she's not in immediate danger and she she's reacting in a way that that would say that she is like as if her her life really depends on getting the Tyrells out of the picture but they are they are the royalty now they are they share every bit of, of, of power that, that she does. Well, that's that's really the key, isn't it? Mm -hmm. your, your, your question's uh, a good one. And some people may be wondering, you know, what is the intrinsic motivation behind all that's happening? And I firmly believe that it's just Cersei's thirst for power and for some sort of absolute power. What Jamie said at the beginning of this season, all of those people out there, this is a, a loose quote, but everyone outside, this is when they were in the Sept of Baylor uh, over Tywin's dead body, um, they're all out there and they want to take everything away from us, everything that he built, all the all the power essentially, all of the work that he put in over the years, 
to make this empire for us to be at the head and to be able to make all of these important decisions. They want to take it. Now, of course, that's kind of a that's a very paranoid outlook. And I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think that that I mean, obviously, it's happening. The Tyrells have been integrated into the system and they've done their duty. They've, as we've heard from Mace Tyrell, they've already donated lots of money and they're completely all right with donating the other half for what the Iron Bank asks and, uh, you know, takes it to jestable terms when he's talking about having words with his daughter. And, <laughs> and, uh, and we see that they've also done what they needed to do as far as, uh, giving, soldiers for military uh, things and that's one of the reasons why they were Mm -hmm. able to keep themselves in power at all so the problem here is not cersei not being able to operate it's not like they're coming in and and supplanting her and casting her aside treating her very poorly she's being treated just the same as she always has but without absolute respect and without absolute power and that is not what she's interested in and so as we see in this episode she's beginning to show her true colors and her true colors are she is completely ruthless and we've known that but this is not a situation where she's in any sort of danger and i think it was interesting that you pointed that out because that's not that's not what's happening here but her reaction to what is happening is incredibly violent when compared with what it is and we have a snarky marjorie tyrell that she cannot stand we have a very attitude driven uh situation between the two of them and we have uh, obviously an uncomfortable situation with her and tommen that Cersei just does not like, but does it beg this kind of response? Shrug. But that's what's happening. The families needed each other at, at one point. I mean, and and they were still, clearly the Tyrells were still needed enough for the wedding with, with Tommen to, to proceed. Mm-hmm. That they, they're, the, they're this rich family who's probably, you know, second most rich compared to the Lannisters, whatever. And as we're seeing in this, in this small council, you know, the reason for sending uh mace off the iron bank which funded stannis um is now you know playing at calling their debt in and 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 basically crippling the crown Mm -hmm. in this in this in this new way under it under its own uh financial you know i don't know exactly what that looks like um but they're them just calling in We've heard that they've they've asked for one tenth of their of their money back um and the crown can only afford one half of one tenth so like one twentieth of what they owe to the to the crown we know the crown is poor, and the Tyrells are needed to solve this at least even if they're just fronting the money. The Tyrells are very much needed, and now Cersei is getting rid of them. I don't know that that is putting the crown in a in a good position why see my question would be, are you sure that the Iron Bank has called in what's owed to them? Well, that's a good question. No, I'm not because I did not read that letter. In this particular case, though, it doesn't really matter because we we know that she's not sending Mace off because of his prowess in diplomacy. Mm-hmm. He's being sent away because she wants to clear the way for what she's about to do. Exactly. And let's not forget that this season started with a flashback, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. because it was really integral to seeing how Cersei operates today. It It provided the context for what she is and what she's become. And she continues to show her ability to, uh, you, you know what I'm trying to say? Like the flashback was put there to really justify a lot of the actions we see her take this season. 
and the whole idea of someone more beautiful coming along and, and really taking her place uh, has has implications in what we've seen in this episode. And you know, she's trying to really get rid of Marjorie and, and get rid of those who she can, she perceives to be a threat to her and her family, which is pretty much anybody. I mean, there, there's nobody out there that she doesn't see as being a threat, even if they're not. And I wonder if her starting the everything in motion here is going to come back to, to ultimately hurt her. You know, th- this decision to align herself with the, the high sparrow mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, the faith militant and what this all means for her, knowing her situation, knowing her backstory, knowing what her nephew knows about her and mm-hmm. what she's done in the past, knowing the rumors that are out there about Tommen. And, and even at one point, you know, when he tries to meet with the high sparrow in this episode, he's called an abomination. And, mm-hmm. and so that is still very much at, at the forefront of the minds of the people of King's Landing, of the people of Westeros, that somebody that is sitting on the throne could be a product of incest. And, and that all ties back to Cersei and, and her relationship with Jamie. And I, I just, I'm very, very worried for her seeing as how she's, you know, taken this approach this season with, with, as I mentioned earlier, her brother and her uncle, and now with the Tyrells that, you know, it, what goes around comes around. So she better be careful. Absolutely. This is thin. And I'm thinking about how Tom is treated. And I'm thinking about the perspective and what people must think in, in Westeros. And it's easy to have this this train of thought because the faith militant and the high people that follow the High Sparrow are so much in the forefront. But these religious people that are inhabiting and that are understanding what's happening right now with their political landscape, they most likely cannot, cannot help but to think that a lot of this is largely due to a negative position with the gods and whatever is happening is not something that they approve of. And this is why there is now a third king in however many you know successive months. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, I'm really wondering about that scene, too, with Cersei and the, the High uh, Sparrow, who is now, I guess, also the High Septon, unless he's sort of retained just his Sparrow title. But any, anyway, um, she seems to want to confess her sins, doesn't she? I mean, she says... Uh, what would you say if I told you of a great sinner in our very midst, shielded by gold and privilege? Mm-hmm. She seems to want some sort of absolution uh, for everything that she's done. And I, I don't know if that's a weakness. I don't know if that's if she's being sincere about that whole thing. But but just the fact that she came this close. I think close, it's a double meaning. I, I think it yeah. it definitely refers to her, but it also refers to Loras Terrell and yeah I took that as Loras oh, okay. you see that the fallout from that conversation immediately following when these high sparrows slash fate or I should say these sparrows slash faith militant are going around King's Landing and basically purging the city of everything that's considered <laughs> to be <laughs> evil why is the ale gone because it's evil because <laughs> it leads to uh, promiscuity and gambling exactly. and bad decisions yeah. Just yeah. Tyrion's a perfect example of everything that's wrong with ale. So yeah. huh. in a weird, you know, I, yeah. I I was reminded these shots where they're overturning like the gambling tables is very biblical. Um, but there's that shot of like the ale just washing down the stairs. Like, yeah, <laughs> they t- they're stabbing these barrels and people 
There's that guy who asked for help, and the Kingsguard literally just turned their back. Yeah, that was a bit the city watch. Campy. Just, just they a bit. just turned they turned their back. It's like <laughs> just oh man, dude, give me my beer back. Come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, is it? Good? They got orders. They were like, uh, if anyone asks for help, just turn your back to them. Just, just, turn. just turn your back. Yeah, yeah. they actually just turn around. Do that. It was reminiscent to me, and I don't know if you guys agree. Back in was it season one or season two where the the city watch is going uh, throughout the city and killing, killing all of Robert's yeah. bastards. Drowning. Yeah. They were doing anything that they could. That was so brutal. T and 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 that reminded me I mean, obviously, of this as well. Uh, but just this sort of no holds barred just radicalism that is good for no one. That is good for neither side. Right. And, you know, it, it got so energetic that they're literally carving the sign of the seven in the foreheads of each other. That you is think about yeah. it. I mean, like it's very, very Nazi Germany esque. Well, I mean, with the SWAT sticker. It's it very, very intense. I know that you know. I'm just taking my attitude from a very, I guess, chilled out perspective. But it's like if you've been tasked with a job and you believe in it so much, great, carry it out, kick ass, knock holes in the in the casks of ale if that's your thing. But do you really have to, you know, do that to yourself? <laughs> I don't know. It, I don't it's know. It's interesting because we know that. A lot of what George R. R. Martin writes is deeply rooted in history, and I think you could certainly make some comparisons back to you know, World War II. You could even make some comparisons to modern day with this idea of religious extremism mm-hmm. and the extents to which they're taking it Absolutely. and some of the uh, things that they are directly opposed to. Uh, we see you – know, we mentioned the ale, but obviously everything that happens at uh, – Baelish's establishment and then what happens with Loris and we know the reasoning uh, behind what's happening there is is directly tied to his sexuality so I think that uh, you know there's certainly ties to what what's some of what's happened in modern day society as well well I I I think too the question or the the thing that I like most about this whole faith militant thing is that they're they're a a force that has existed right I mean I I think it's uh, here's a quote in the days before the Targaryens the faith militant uh, guarded the realm and, and doled out the justice of the gods. That's who they answer to. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the seven gods of, of, of the kingdom. And, and because they already existed and Cersei is just sort of enacting them through, you know, Tommen's decree or whatever, it's super cool. And not having read the books, finding out that this is something that King's Landing once had, um, before the Targaryens. I don't know. Maybe the Targaryens, um, just didn't like him or whatever, but, and wanted to do their own thing. But, Knowing that the certain questions have already been resolved, uh, like where the City Watch or Kingsguard's power, you know, sort of ends and where the Faith Militant begins, some of these questions are already figured out. And so like no. when, when the Faith Militant like turns or uh, you know, is is doing all that and the City Watch turns their back, I'm thinking, won't that be a problem? Won't won't it be an, an issue of pride? And we do see that scene where um the Kingsguard, where Tommen's Kingsguard, you know, sort of clashes. Uh, on the stairs with with the the faith militant, but for the most part, this is something that already existed, and that makes it like even cooler. I think that it's back. I would say the lines are actually blurred though, because you don't know where one stops and the other other begins, and you don't know what level of really authority either of them have, and mm-hmm. and I think that's a bit scary because mm-hmm. you have the king who's requesting to speak with the high sparrow and is basically getting away. denied yeah. hardcore. His holiness is praying. He's pray- he will and not that, be that's scary though, because it goes back to what I was talking about earlier with Cersei. Is she going down a very, very dangerous path here? Because by putting the high sparrow in power and giving 
this level of you know power to the to the faith militant knowing her situation and knowing what she has done in her past and the fact that she has a nephew who is a part of this faction now and and who went to her early on uh, this season to tell her that she exactly. should really repent for what she has done it it seems like it's a very slippery slope because you're talking about somebody who really has should have little power or authority uh, you know, shutting down the king, and and if you, and if you right. can shut down the king and not speak to the king, then what? What does that mean for Cersei do? and everybody else? Yeah, that should have never happened. The whole because the the king put them in power. There should still be um, some respect, authority it has, but I think the authority is with Cersei and not with Tommen. That's the thing. If Cersei had wanted to talk to the High Sparrow, I'm sure he would have let her in, right? But it's just this this king wants to go and you know take Loras out of the cell or whatever have that be done and they're allowed to turn him away because he is not really the leader. He's the king, sure, but he's not the one who's been negotiating with the High Sparrow to do all of this. And so they have no regard for him. He didn't put the sword in, in, in all of their hands. His mom did. Um, it's very disrespectful of the king or whatever, but they're allowed to do it because you're right. They have more power than Tommen does. Mm, which is scary to think about. Mm-hmm. That's where this is dangerous. Because they're so connected with the faith, and the faith has such a high order in this still developing society, that when they were disarmed more than two centuries ago, um, that was at more of a, I guess you could say, conservative era for for their relationship with religion and its place in the crown, and yeah. uh, it was fine. Like they had essentially the overall decision on which things were okay and which things were not okay, apart from the organized political system that employs the the people who service the law and people that uphold the law and people that dole out punishment for breaking the law and and in keep order etc they kind of had their own their own court of of dangerous monks making sure that the the lords and the gods were pleased and we see that happening here and and the implications of what could come from this are so scary because we see a, a very brilliantly portrayed High Sparrow sitting comfortably in a meeting with Cersei. And she's using these yeah. double meetings and she's she's saying these things to him. And he's setting himself up so so brilliantly. He's saying he doesn't like the taste when she refers to the wine. And she <laughs> wow. says the old High Septon would have asked the vintage. And we, we're, we're from these small exchanges, we're learning that this person is, is very the words. Words don't even need to be said. Look at the man's eyes when he's speaking these lines. He he is portraying this person that is very calm, that is very put together, that is very humble, that is very unambitious. gracious, unambitious. Yeah. And yet we see the people that he directly commands performing in the way that they have performed. Mm-hmm. He says, wars teach people to obey the sword. And these are all ways that he's chipping away at the armor and the situation. He knows that while he has an audience with someone like Cersei Lannister, he should go ahead and work toward the end that he would like to see. Now, I don't think he went into the meeting hoping that the faith militant would be armed. (laughs) No, gosh. I could almost see a glimmer of holy shit in his eyes. <laughs> it's like that would be the coolest thing ever, right? Maybe it's too much for him. That's what he said because this is an this is an honor that I had never wished for, and she says, which is why you were chosen. Yeah, and he yeah. knows there's more to it. You can see it in his face, like oh, Harry Potter. Yes, <laughs> I completely understand. There is more to this. You have an agenda, 
as yeah. do you I. You have a specific person that you want to see. Yeah. And I can't help but think that this is this is just going to flip because this guy doesn't strike me as the kind of person that's going to have an, an insane amount of loyalty. Like, he's not a Kyburn. He's not going to turn his head the other way just because she was the one to give him the power in the situation. Right. Oh, no. And that's what's scary. And she's not even the current acting queen, which is, which is making it even worse. I mean, she's essentially... A a Varys, a Littlefinger, or or Tyrion yeah. in this situation. It's crazy to think about it that way, but you're right. And uh, I just wanted to say, I know I referenced Lancel as being the nephew. He's actually a cousin to Cersei, not nephew. So right. if you just insert the word cousin every time I said nephew, we're good. <laughs> uh, I don't think you said it too much. It's just a scary situation for Cersei to be in. And again, I just hearken back to the, 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 the flashback at the beginning of the season because it really did set into motion all the reasoning behind why she's acting the way that she is right now. And she's putting her trust. It'd be interesting, interesting to kind of go into why she feels the need to turn to a group like the faith militant and, and, and really religion in, in this darkest of time that she's facing. And I think part of that may go back to the fact that she's lost her son. She's lost her father and she really feels like she has nowhere else to turn, and so she's turning to they're, her they're really faith. really the only remaining source of power. Um, right, which has just happened to come back into power uh, and, and really resurface at, at this moment. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just going to be uh, interesting to watch how all of this plays out over the course of the next several episodes because you can't help but wonder – if they are going to dismiss someone who as who is as respectable as Tommen, uh, because he is, after all, the king, regardless of how old he is or how wise he is, uh, then Cersei is also in uh, in a difficult position because if if they choose to go after her, uh, what recourse uh, that will all have is is unknown. Well, if they can do what they did to the king of the Andals in front of all of those people. And in front of yeah. his entire crew, who would love to clear the rapple, then I think those implications are very clear. You know, I, I thought for uh, for the king, Tommen is very tactically sound. He weighs the situation right on the stairs. He could have ordered his men to, yep. you know, attack. Obviously, they're a little bit outnumbered, um, but the other guys didn't seem to be wearing much armor. But when he is being called those names in the crowd, you're an abomination, you know, things like that are being shouted at him. I feel like he can sense that the situation would have gotten a little bit out of control. You know, even if the common people got involved or if he won, like maybe they would start flinging themselves. It's just a very volatile situation. He smartly senses that this is something he's got more sense than Joffrey at at, at something like this, where he uh, said, we'll find another way. Um, and, and opted for like a nonviolent route. Like, I don't think that makes him weak. I think it actually makes him really smart when he decides to turn away. He's, he's, he's good at that. Like I was, I was blown away, uh, rewatching it, um, at how smart he is at, at, and how careful, um, in, 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 in doing this. And he, but what he struggles with is dealing with the women in his life. Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, essentially he's having to come back and tell, uh, his queen that he, he couldn't get her brother out of the cell. <laughs> and he says there, because there were no nonviolent means of doing so. Um, but still it, it's, it's something where I feel bad for him because he's not going to get any because she needs time with her family or whatever. But other than that, I, I think he did everything he should have done. I think he did, he did a really nice job and his acting and his ignorance about the whole, what's really, you know, going on 
is mm-hmm. astounding and fun fun as hell to watch. And Marjorie is is going to uh, make a request of one Queen of Thorns, so it'd be interesting to see if she makes her way back to King's Landing. That would That'll be, be interesting. Very cool. Gosh, uh, Queen Lady Olenna's coming back. Baelish is coming back. <laughs> We're gonna have. But he has no uh, establishment anymore to uh, work out of. So I wonder oh. why he's being brought back. Well, that's an interesting question. They keep mentioning that the brothel is still his, and I guess I didn't really expect. Um, him to ever come back to King's Landing, given the way the means by which he left it. But I guess that's not public public knowledge. Like nobody knew he was even back to pick up Sansa. That Sansa, like the reason she escaped. Like I feel like yeah, they didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, if Cersei knew, hell, he'd be put to death immediately. So is he walking into, I mean, a, a more volatile situation than he can handle in coming back to King's Landing at this difficult time? I think it's wise in general to avoid this place. So I would hazard Olena's visit, and I would hazard even for Lord Baelish his visit to King's Landing. Especially after what's happened to his place and knowing that there's a rise of, of a religious faction in the city that seemed to be gaining more power, you would think that uh, going back is not in his best interest. I, I don't think Cersei would necessarily call him back to put him in a precarious situation, but mm-hmm. who knows? It, that may be far out of her control to... Uh, seeing as they they want to purge the city of of any yeah it's like the, the seven sorry. gods impropriety right. uh, you know the, yeah the seven gods clearly have a lot to say about sex and who you can and can't have it with um, running a brothel is not the ideal profession for somebody for for in for that scenario for that whole situation and I was I was uh, again rewatching and showing how they're they're treating the whores and everything and 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 really. The, the clientele are being uh, presumably, I don't know, castrated or, or, or worse um, for their proclivities, for their for what they're doing there. The fact that you can invade an establishment. And Oliver um, seems to want to say something, seems to suggest that there will be repercussions of, of, of some sort. But in the end, when he sees what's going on, he tucks his tail and ducks his head and gets the hell out of there too. It's, it's, it's quite shocking. I don't know what kind of... What'll be left for Baelish when he gets to King's Landing? Notice they made sure to show the harsher punishment to the men working at the brothel, which was also very telling of the nature of this group. Sir Loris was seized during training, which was mm-hmm. a lot lighter than what happened inside of Baelish's brothel. And it's just curious. It's making me wonder if he is heading back to King's Landing. It's like all of this does not bode well because a crew of this size and of this level of anger enough to have things carved into their face being led by someone that is so stoic and sincere and also obviously so intelligent i feel like this could snowball and the the momentum of what they're able to do with what power they have right now before they're told that okay we should take these guys down and i'm sure the only way to stop them will be with force eventually it's just not a good situation inside of King's Landing. We don't have an army coming to threaten the lives of people at the walls. We have violent people that have been militarized inside of the walls. Yeah, it's it's definitely a scary situation. And I think you, you could draw parallels between this part of the episode and then what was going on in Marine with the Sons of the Harpy. It, it had a very That's uh, what I was thinking. similar feel to it, right? Yeah. Where... You have these factions, and and they are trying to 
in their mind, reclaim what's theirs and, and to purge the city. I keep using that word, but it, it's true. Like they're trying to, to get rid of what they feel does not belong. And in, in, in their own sort of mindset, they're doing what they feel is right. Whether we agree with it or not is neither here nor there, but we see you know two very, very similar situations taking place within two very, very different geographic regions of, of this world. Mm. Ah, I'm so curious as to what will happen if Peter Baelish makes it back to King's Landing and the Faith Militant <laughs> are just walking around. Say so they pick yeah. up a few mo- a few new members. They're all carving. <laughs> None of them are craven. Mm-hmm. They're just wearing no shoes. They're wearing uh, loose-fitting robes. And he walks in with a mockingbird sigil, and they're like, that guy. Lancel knows everything. He knows everyone. Yeah. Speaking of Baelish, though, he uh, had a very powerful scene in this particular episode because he was recalling a certain event that we've talked about pretty extensively, right, in the past when we've gone through the books. I'm glad we finally get to speak about this. And we get a chance now to talk about it because the showrunners felt it important enough to to include in the show. (laughs) And it was just great hearing about the tourney at Harrenhal and the entire uh, backstory about how Rhaegar and Lyanna came to be. And it's just, uh, it's a way of including this piece of information into the show. I think there were other moments, even in this particular episode, we touched on a few last week, where we're starting to really get clues, we hope, uh, about who the parents of Jon Snow are, and, and or at least why this relationship between Rhaegar and Lyanna is so important why uh, uh, why else would you keep throwing out these little bits of information if if they if they weren't crucial to right. a certain part of the story beginning the series with a television show none of this is clear and as we trekked through the books with the listeners of this podcast over the years it became more and more clear the more we were revealed of the past the way that George R. R. Martin decided to give the past to us and we eventually made it to the chapter where we got to learn about the Night of the Laughing Tree. We got to learn about Lord Wind's tourney and, and deepness. You guys know what I mean? When we were finally able to, rather than getting references, but almost be told through the eye of the way that it was and how things were, and really got to learn the full perspective, so much more of the story to me started to not make sense, but just all the gaps between Robert's Rebellion and previous to that and and previous to all the way back to Dunkin' Egg, started to feel fill in so much more efficiently. And I just thought that beyond mentions of Liana and beyond mentions of the Mad King and references during uh, purchasing a wildfire and et cetera of the past, were, were going to be limited to those very small scopes that it, 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 were, it was to be shallow because the television series is centric on what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. But then we get a scene like this where the attorney at Hall this fateful time where these fateful deeds took place, we're able to pull so much out of just this one small thing. We're able to learn more about Sir Barrison before his untimely demise. We're able to learn about a certain collection of flowers. It was very deep, and I'm so happy that they did it. Uh, Baelish mentions Elia Martell, who was Rhaegar's uh, wife at the time, who he rides right past to give the the crown of winter to to Liana, but Elia Martell, of course, is is who Oberyn was avenging 
the death of her and her children, the raping and the killing of her and her kids, which again, it's, we haven't seen it happen, but we know it happened because it gets brought up in, in scenes like this, you know, the fact that Ellie was name dropped, um, also supports the, the whole Dornish, you know, scene in the, in this whole thing too. These are people who inhabit this world who may not have the most screen time, but they're important. And what Sansa knows about, uh, Rhaegar, um, apparently raping Lyanna, uh, is, you know, we can, we can extend, we can infer that perhaps she had a child from that or, or that they, we know that they were intimate. So there, when you get something like Stannis looking at Jon Snow and his, his wife saying, oh, you know, he's just some, some tavern sluts kid. And he says, no, that's not Ned's way. You, you, you know, you begin to get these, these, uh, items of interest that look like puzzle pieces, really. That's one fabulous mechanic of what's happening here. But for me, even beyond that, the casual viewer is passively getting from the show what we were able to get from reading the books, which is yeah. characters like Barristan, characters like even Robert Baratheon, and old Ned, Ned's sister, the person that Sansa is lighting a candle for in the crypt, now seasons later being separated from the crypts, but we're back. Casual viewers, and this is coming from conversations I've had with friends and family members over the past handful of days, are getting stronger ties themselves. They're feeling more connected to the story because they're feeling a stronger purpose to everything that's happening now that there's so much more history involved. Even if it's a a shallow scene like this, so much weight was put on it and there was so much in it. Like you said, Elia was tied in. Starks were tied in. The fact that Jon Snow's parentage is also coming off of this does nothing but give it a a brilliant amount of icing and a nice little bow. Yeah, and it's just uh, a lot of history and a lot of context being provided as both of you mentioned to other storylines storylines that have been created specifically because this tourney took place and that Rhaegar chose Lyanna and Baelish has that line I'm paraphrasing a bit where he says how many thousands died because Rhaegar chose your aunt and 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 really how many thousands will continue to die because of that moment and it was great having the the show open with the the flashbacks uh to previous seasons uh you know before the the opening credits and they show Robert Baratheon in the crypts with Ned and he's holding that feather the same feather that Sansa picks up and dusts off you know 5 years later in terms of yeah. season time it's just such a powerful uh tool to use uh to show that it's all still connected together as, as Zach was pointing out earlier. Exactly. So it's, it's slowly starting to, to come full circle. And I think these bits of backstory that we're now getting, it's been decided that they're, they're too integral to, to skip over. And I think that this moment between Bellish and Sansa is, is just a perfect example of how important the the history of of some of these characters are to the present day it's it's not no longer possible to just dismiss them or find alternate means of just mentioning things in passing they require their own time and they require the story to be told and i think that this is hopefully building up to a reveal as to the truth about john snow and you know, I I can't help but hope that. I mean, they may tease it for a while longer, but I think it's possible that we learn about this in in the not too distant future. Do you think Baelish knows 
do you think that that's why he's all smug about this whole thing when she says because like in the books it's it's an extremely well kept secret the only person who i think is still alive that's supposed to know is uh holland reed um the fact that in the show they make it seem like Baelish knows something Sansa doesn't or that she's behaving childish. She's being childish to assume that the stories about him raping her were true, like taking her against her will. Maybe she went willingly. It's all open to interpretation, but the look Baelish gives her seems like he knows more. Do you think that, that the show makers are trying to say something like that? Or what exactly is behind, like, how much does Baelish know? I think for, for Baelish, he was... Obviously, <laughs> forlorn with his own happiness, being even at, at a place where such legends were gathered at once, mm-hmm. I I think we can call it probably like the last of its of its kind, the scale of which it happened, and probably because of what happened, it was probably the last of its kind there for a minute, and then it eventually digressed into the situation that it is now and then we've gotten to see like bastardized versions of it like where <laughs> Ned had his celebrate celebratory tourney at King's Landing. Right. But I think so. He was just so excited to be there. And I think that it was probably clear to people that were there that Liana Stark, and this is just a guess because I wasn't there, um, her relationship with Rhaegar wouldn't, they wouldn't have needed violence to connect with one another, let's say. I think that that mm-hmm. Baelish probably knowing, knows that having been so close. Right. In the way that you infer from two, like that two characters would get along, that two people would get along. He knows the truth about Jon Snow, but he doesn't know a thing about Ramsay Bolton. Go figure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he doesn't know a thing about Ramsay Bolton. And I wonder if that excuses the fact that he's leaving uh, Sansa with him. I mean, with all of the Boltons really, there's, there's a bit that's uh, unforgivable about him answering to Cersei's call and leaving Sansa alone. And, just just planning the fact that he's able to tell her what he wants to do uh, or what he thinks is going to happen when when uh what the hell Stannis arrives uh doesn't make it okay that he's leaving her on her own he says something like um even the most dangerous men can be outmaneuvered and you've learned to maneuver from the, from very, the very best, best. <laughs> yeah like he he obviously talking himself up but he thinks that she can handle the boltons and i don't know that that I don't think it's. I think she's getting better, but I'd still. I don't feel comfortable about him completely leaving her alone. Generally, Peter Baelish is four or five steps on average, I would say, ahead of whatever situation he's currently in. And I just. I can't find myself caring or wondering for him after what he's been able to pull off over the years. I. I try to be very mindful of all that his character has accomplished, and I would say this is one of the the lesser situations. He's got Roose Bolton and a tight grip. Okay, he's reading his letters. Fine. He brought Sansa Stark, and he has all of the men of the Vale at his back, and he's done what he's done. So, I'm I'm confident in his situation. I think the the weakest thing that he's doing is really is his relationship with Sansa. But he's clearly strong enough to let her go in this case, which gives me hope for the kind of of trouble that he's brewing up outside of this because. I would think that we would have assumed that he wouldn't have let her out of his grasp, but that's clearly not the case. Right. I mean, I guess she's the key to the North, but he delivered that key and is now on to something different, on to something probably even more menacing. Yeah, we got a lot of owns about this particular moment and just Littlefinger's ability to tell a story. And I'm looking specifically at Yara Greyjoy. (laughs) 
Yes, that, that's her new last name, who said the Rhaegar and Lyanna story finally and used a clap hands emoticon. Littlefinger owned it for always having the best monologues in the show. And he does. Like he always he's always able to uh leave you wondering. Chaos is a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> they like they like using equipment um in those promos, right? It's true. Ladders, Ladders wheels. wheels. Other stuff. <laughs> well, think of something else. No, Baelish is a great storyteller, and I think it's his knack for for storytelling, uh, his presence on screen that allow basically he's able to reveal Stannis's larger game plan. Like we have scenes with Stannis at the wall, right? But even even that is not as clear as Baelish puts it to Sansa when he tells her that he's going to come. He's basically marching for King's Landing, but is going to rally. Uh, the bannermen of the North, you know, to his side. And with that army, with that force, eventually go and take King's Landing. So in order to do that, he's got to fight the Boltons. And this whole thing is laid out right in front of Sansa. And he just expects that she's going to survive uh, the battle and still be around to be named Wardeness of the North. Like, I don't know if he's just playing out, pulling that out of his ass or if they, you know, he actually, if that's just something that, really is probable for her to be a wardeness. That is what Stannis would do, though. If she survived, if Ramsay and Roose weren't losing and decided to take care of her while she was still inside the walls out of spite oh God. and out Why of sheer you... treachery. Oh God. Because that's the that's... kind of people that they are. That is the kind of people that they are. If she made it out and Stannis made it out and there was a Stark in the Winterfell and he's sweaty from the pangs of victory, <laughs> right? Right? Maybe Reek's still alive, Theon's still alive, and he's like, this creature will work for you now. You're now the Wardeness of the North. How cool would that be? Yeah, be so, cool. so that's what Baelish is setting up right now, and Sansa's thinking of all the things I just said, and she's going, eh, it's not that bad. <laughs> I also think that Sansa is doesn't always get enough credit for what's going on inside her mind and the actions that she's going to take. I'm not saying that she is in any way safe from the Boltons, but I think she's also smart in the sense that she realizes that the Boltons need her in order to have complete control over the North. Right. And as long as there's a Stark in Winterfell, those who are loyal to the Starks and to the North will obey the Boltons because they're, they're technically obeying Sansa. So I I wonder how much she is going to be able to use that to her advantage in these situations and saying, basically, if you do anything to me, your fate is sealed. Right. But as long as you have me here, you you hold a card over all of these you know, right. that are loyal to Winterfell. She is fairly protected um, by the fact that she is the, uh, as far as they know, last remaining Stark. Um, the key to the north, as she's been called. Otherwise, I think even in the books, the key, to the key to the north, key to the north, <laughs> key to the north, key to the north. You know, she's stealing herself. She she knows that either way, she's got to get married, though. Um, and so when she says that line to Baelish, I expect I'll be a married woman by the time you return. It's just like, well, uh, you got to do. It. Sometimes you got to do shit, you know, to get right, shit done. She's playing Baelish so hard, even in these final scenes. I don't know. I, she's well. First off, she's. Let's be clear, Sansa Stark is not developing feelings and falling in love with Peter Baelish. Oh, no, no, no. But do, could she possibly have a better plan of her own that would be like, that would surpass his? Like... I don't I don't think that that's, 
what we should be focused on right now. It'd be great to it'd be great if that was a surprise in the season. Uh, but yeah. I'm not in my in my mind. I'm just seeing the way she's handling this guy, the way she's handled him since the very tail end of the last season when she walked down the stairs in that new dress, and the way that she's been handling him from episode one now through episode four, which is calm, cool, and collect. She's going ahead and taking a swig of the, the ale. So she's she's acting like more of a uh, of a self confident person. And saying something so flirtatious as, I suppose I'll be a married woman by the time you return, that's just music to Baelish's ears. That's exactly how he would want this person to speak to him, because that's the kind of man that he is. And Mm -hmm. it's working well. And I'm still just so taken aback that he's leaving her after all that he did to get his hands on her and to get her to feel safe with him over all of these years. So I'm very curious as to what will happen with Peter Baelish and Sansa Sark after this. More curious with what will happen with Baelish and what his plan is, because if it takes him away from Sansa, it's got to be something that's pretty damn important, and I don't know what it is yet, but I have ideas. Yeah, she's kind of his trump card, right? I mean, he's rescued her from Kings, you know, he rescued her from the the grace of the queen, and then, or the wrath of the queen, and then is going straight over to the queen now. So that is very interesting. Yep, I have no idea. It definitely what he's is. <laughs> I just worry for Sansa in the sense that I'm sure the Boltons are going to want an heir at some point, and we all know what that means for Sansa. Knowing how Ramsay likes to enjoy himself, it's or maybe he'll uh, have a change of heart in that situation. Who knows? Yeah, jury's but, out. Uh, jury's out. It's also important to remember, though, that Brienne is not far behind. Right. So she's just she's just gonna fuck everything up. She's. Uh, <laughs> You know it. You know that she... Uh. It's been set up rather strong. And I hazard to feel that associated with what's been set up, knowing that this is Game of Thrones. All of us, mm-hmm. all of you listening us to us recording, I'm thinking, surely not, right? Surely not. Because we're, we're this early in the season, and, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Micah? Surely not, right? Surely it's all a ruse. They wouldn't do that. This is Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's not like we saw Rob dying, Cat dying, coming in the way that it did. That's part of the story. It's part of what makes it so good. Yeah, and and I think that's all relevant to what happened at the end of this episode. We never saw the death of Sir Barristan coming, and I think and that that happened. is one of the ways that this show has been able to really captivate Real and shock viewers at the same time it's 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 that moment when you see Ned having his head chopped off at Baylor or yeah. as you mentioned the red wedding yeah. or Oberyn Martell having his head smashed in uh, or even Joffrey I think that was yeah, a shocking true. moment even though people were like yeah 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 you know it's <laughs> it's it's still uh it's still a shocking moment Bran getting thrown out of a window in the first episode yeah. you know and, and and that doesn't even tie into this magical world that is going on uh in 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 the north exactly. and, and out east so exactly. there's just so many different elements of this show that continue to draw people in and you know, it. I, I think part of it is it's it's almost like a murder mystery of sorts in a way because you're always hanging on to to find out who's going to make it through to the end and who's responsible for everything. Um, and so, I, I think everybody kind of watches each episode with um, 
bated breath to see who's going to make it through and, and who's going to have an opportunity to sit the Iron Throne when all is said and done. Mm. So, well, we can expect that if what has been set up will happen, it will not happen in a conventional way. I think that that is safe to assume that right. we're, we're in for a ride no matter what happens. But one thing we can always count on is to get amazing feedback from the people who listen to the right. show. That's right. While we may know what will happen, we know what did happen. And what did happen is broken down into, I swear, guys, there are 200 <laughs> owns in this no. document. No. No. <laughs> 200. Eric's going to have to read really, uh, really At fast. least. I'm counting this. We have 19 pages of oh owns in our document God. here. 19 Pages. That was just what was able to be copied and pasted. There was still plenty of stuff that <laughs> didn't that make, didn't the, make cut. the cut. Oh, so I don't know how we're going to do this, but this is we're all make it work. This is representative of how like action packed, jam packed with own moments these episodes have gotten. I mean, it's only episode four of season five for crying out loud. There are six more episodes, but I just <laughs> I can't believe this response. Absolutely not. Well, this is this is exciting. I think we we called out um, last week. We said, guys, one of our favorite parts of being in the middle of the season as it is now is how the community has come together in such great turnout and uh, continues to make these evenings of the episode airing and, and the subsequent evenings and days following just a, a wonderful shared experience and, and a reason to celebrate and to come out and support each other and to see all of you favorite and comment back on each other's owns and to promote each other's lines that you thought were hilarious and i know enriches the process for you and helps you just really celebrate what it is to enjoy a story in line with everyone else and it certainly does it for us so before we dive into these i think we owe everyone a, a big round of applause because this is, this, this is great and i know that we'll do it this coming up sunday night so it's gonna be fun let's gather around the campfire <laughs> haul that big ass satchel over oh man I have it a, a, on a little wagon here. And let's pour some of these owns that out. That wagon that has that the, one uh, squeaky wheel. I've been telling you to grease that wheel. Thank you for reminding me. There about are that <laughs> three primary ways that you can send us your owns email, Twitter, and Facebook. And I think we can dive into the email bag first. Those owns are sitting atop the satchel in a very nicely colored. Ah, yes, here they are. This is, uh, wow. This is a very pastel. This is pastel paper. I mm -hmm. like this. Multicolored, <laughs> soft on the eyes. Would you read this first one, Eric? I think it's from uh, a Kim. Yeah, California. Oh, that explains the pastels. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Kim from California says, owned Game of Thrones and everyone involved. Ooh, this, is, this is a dangerous first own to read. When the credits rolled, I yelled at the screen like a crazy person. <laughs> hashtag great TV. Hashtag I love you, love your work. Aww. I love that. It's very Thank broad, you. very general. Kim is just, she's throwing the own to everybody. For, for as long as the show can evoke that kind of credits, you know, closed response of just screaming at the screen, I think they're doing what they need to be doing. Definitely. Yeah. It's working. Thank you, Kim. And we also heard from Julia Jorgensen, who says... I would like to give a preparatory own to Drogon for burning Marine the fuck down and Wait, avenging what? the most beautiful human being to ever inhabit Planetos, <laughs> Sir Barristan Planetos. So uh, I think Julia is hoping that Drogon yes. goes a little smaug and uh, 
burns Marine to the ground. So an own for something that hasn't happened yet. I like yes. the most beautiful human being. To ever, now, to now ever. note that we're not saying that that's going to happen. I think she's just hoping deep down inside that right, uh, right, right. that this does happen. Julia, you are my spirit animal. <laughs> Here's an email from Kim, another Kim, lover. Hi guys, please discuss the ramifications of Stannis knowing Jon Snow's parentage. Is it irrelevant because he's at the wall, or is it possible that he will become a threat that will need to be dealt with? Hmm. I'm not sure that he knows. I, I think that it was just a creative way of of the producers to give another hint to the 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 people who watch the show that something wasn't something starts way. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know that he really has any inside information. And if Stannis sees John as anyone that would be the rightful heir, if that would to be the case, Stannis would bend the knee because that's the kind of man that he is. But Robert usurped the Targaryen, so I don't think that's going to be one of our concerns. That's interesting, yeah, about about whether or not, huh? Plus, like Maybe. another Targaryen, he's made his vow to the wall. I wonder what the did. A lot of people feel that way when that when they heard what he said about Ned that he knew the truth about Jon Snow. And would or... therefore, I I never thought about the Targaryen angle before now. About no, but I'm I'm just wondering if those who saw the show last week really felt that Stannis had some inside knowledge about Jon Snow's parentage. I I think it was more of just a passing comment. I don't know. Than, I mean, the grin. The grin is, Maybe I'm wrong. It could be a telling grin. It's just really a grin. I I think in that scene, what's happening is Stannis is admiring Jon like a father would their kid. I think that that's that was interesting. So I I, I don't think there's anything untoward between them. If he does know, he's taking it pretty well. Alrighty then. Well, guys, it's getting cold out here. We need fuel. Do you mind if I start heating things up a bit? Do it. All right. I will begin disrobing immediately. Oh, God. No. No, don't do it. Owens All are right. being red. Pants Just throw those owns into the fire. Four. No. Keep them on. Going Three. down my legs. Two. <laughs> the things we One. do for goo. Do you like to sail? I love to sail. I do, too. <laughs> First up, Andrew Erbs. Owner of the episode has to go to Melisandre and her flames for You Know Nothing, Jon Snow. You Know Nothing. <laughs> Doug Stevens. My own goes to Sir Barristan showing off some sweet-ass moves. He is so a they were his last. Uh, Dr. Adam Baum. <laughs> I love Adam it. Baum. Adam Owned to Bronn uh, for knowing the captain was going to sell them out. That's true. He did know that. Smart man, that man. Smart Smart man, man. that man. Hodge dog. (laughs) My own goes to Stannis for not being the father we need, but for being the father we deserve. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly Mealhouse says, own goes to Stannis for being Westeros' father of the year. (laughs) Totally agreed. And Nick Gravelin says, own this week has to go to the Sand Snakes with their awesome elf shoes. Elf shoes. Who would have known? <laughs> I didn't even notice. Ryan OS on Twitter. King Stan gets my own for being one of the best dads in Westeros, tapping all the maesters to save Shireen from Grayscale. Can I get an amen? Amen. John amen. Snow is Bay on Twitter. My own goes to Stannis Baratheon. <laughs> John Snow is Bay. Because he owns the first actual tear I shed this season. Who would have thought it? Stannis Almost the did, but then he did. Johan Spore, Melisandre on the episode. Jon Snow and the viewers. We all know nothing. That's profound. I like that. Shana Debashery, own goes to Cersei. The small council grows smaller and smaller. Not small enough. Hashtag Pycelle burn of the week. <laughs> Always good for one of those. Haley Jarrett, 
on Twitter. Jorah owned Tyrion by tossing him in that rowboat, but Tyrion has no gag for 30 seconds before he totally owns Jorah at Game of Owns. Hashtag Game of Owns. Bobcat C6 says, Own to Melisandre for teaching Jon Snow the meaning of open kimono. Bargain. Bargaining. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you guys uh, get hashtag, all the good ones. <laughs> what do you know, sweet Jon Snow? <laughs> <laughs> Very good hashtag. Uh, Lloyd tweeted in from uh, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> he says, Own goes to Jamie Lannister for proving that an ornamental hand can do more than look majestic. It does. Hashtag Iron Fist. True. I love it. Uh, I'd ask of, my own goes to the rightful king Stannis for taking the crown for being the most awesome father on the show from Ned. Oh. Hashtag you oh. server Kelly Eberhart <laughs> Jorah owned Tyrion's insomnia <laughs> hashtag shut the fuck up little man I need wine to sleep Rachel the sons of the harpy pretty much own Barristan Selmy Grey Worm and oh. all of my fields Gabby Schneider Sand Snakes finally hashtag badass is their middle name they love tents and camping <laughs> and elf shoes <laughs> and elf shoes apparently <laughs> Jeffrey Husson says my own to Sir Barristan Selmy another sacrifice on the TV series Altar Bold you were, Hand of the Queen. Ali Tarwater. Stannis! Also this entire episode, but mostly Stannis. I respect that. Jordan D. Mertens. Bonus owned to Bronn for your niece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Sons of the Harpy. Hashtag Hey Stannis, show Jamie how to dad up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. That's good. Matt Lydon. What the? How? No, she can't say that. Hashtag, you know nothing, Jon Snow. Oh. Lady Silva, my own goes to Barristan Selmy, who was slain in this episode. He was too good for Marine. Too pure. Too true. And Sammy, Butts McGee's on Twitter. <laughs> Own to the Lannister Jeez. Boat Bros opening montage and to Jorah fucking Mormont for slapping a bitch. Hashtag, imp slap. Hashtag, Boat Bros. Hashtag on a boat, motherfuckers. Shane Epps on Twitter. My own goes to Oscar-nominated Keisha Cashel-Hughes, Obara, for spearing that dude without a pause in her dialogue. Yeah, she did. Geeky Thinker. At Game of Owns, my own goes to Cersei's bishop to F3, capturing her opponent's knight. Well played, evil one. Timer <laughs> her hit. opponent's <laughs> knight. I love that. I love that tweet. Just imagining So creatively. Pamela Shepard Garcia, Tarth, wait, is Jamie smiling wistfully? Yeah. I think so. Jordan D. Mertens, my favorite Game of Thrones podcast is Game of Owns. And my first ever own, cue the music, well, you're already hearing it, goes to Shireen for being probs, the only person alive who Stannis truly loves. Oh. And Jon Snow. <laughs> Karen Dean at Karen is bomb on Twitter. My own goes to Stannis for making me have all the feels with Shireen. Hashtag amazing father. Hashtag fuck police. <laughs> oh. Christina on Twitter. Rhaegar gets my own for being all over this episode. Hashtag RIP. Now how about the night of the laughing tree? Hashtag Game of Thrones. Brandon S on Twitter. My own goes to Tyrion for humming the Meow Mix theme song over and over again to annoy Jorah enough to remove the gag. <laughs> Hashtag meow. That's what it was. Uh, Bevan Boychuk. Own goes to Jamie for killing left-handed. Okay. Chloe Palka says, own go double own. Wow. Uh, to Melisandre for shutting down Solis for criticizing my perfect baby princess, yeah. Shireen. Yep. <laughs> 
plus hashtag you know nothing Jon Snow. <laughs> Margot says Jamie accidentally owned the slow one. Hashtag golden hand. Hashtag unconventional kill. It works. K26DP, who I seem to get every week. R2's cousin. cousin of R2D2, <laughs> yeah. Big own to the Sons of the Harpy for killing Sir Barristan, something noted serial killer George R. R. Martin couldn't do. <laughs> Hashtag yet. Noted serial killer. That's good. Oh, gosh. Law Willis. Three words. Barristan the Bold. Definitely. Billy Joe. Owned to Lancel for his Inglorious Bastards moment. Marlene Montooth He's not says, sadly, you. my own needs to go to the they went that away, whore. Oh, she's, she was oh yeah, worst. what's up with her? Bethany Edwards, owned to the Wardeness of the North for now being a thing I want so much for Sansa that I cried. <laughs> Hashtag hurry up, Stannis. <laughs> James Circle, owned to Sir Barristan for fighting valiantly and being a great man in this cruel world. Just a random, owned to the Sparrows for shutting down Tommen the Timid. He's praying and not to be disturbed. Lulz. Uh. Went to the White Fawn, my own goes to Baelish for making my heart sing like Rhaegar with his <laughs> Lyanna story and for his silence after Sansa's reply. Hashtag fave Game of Thrones theory. Jenny B. Own goes to Littlefinger's story of the journey in Harrenhal. Tori Targaryen. Tyrion gets my own for annoying the fuck out of Jorah with his muffled sea shanties. Kristen. <laughs> 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 Owned to Jamie's decorative hand for making itself useful. Finally. And Jimmy Schmidt's owned to Sparrows for smashing Olivar in the head twice already this season. Uh, quote, this is Lord Peter Bellish's established crunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a rough season for him so far. Yeah, so far. Susan Henning on Twitter. Littlefinger at Sansa think Roos is the scary one. Ramsey has fallen for her, question mark, question mark. Littlefinger's leaving her, question mark, question mark, question mark. Ah, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. <laughs> Andy Robillard. Own goes to Sir Lancel, because that ain't washing off anytime soon. Honorable mention, <laughs> Barristan the Bowl. <laughs> yeah, that's a permanent tattoo. Vicky, you know nothing, Jon Snow. The look on his face said it all. Yeah, it was yeah, like, some creepy shit. She was channeling. Uh, something. You think she was? Yeah. Joe Schaefer, Shireen and her dad own my tears. You give me your tears, Gypsy. You don't shrink me. <laughs> Caroline, Gracie, I was owned by Benny Offenweiss, did not see that coming until right before it happened. Hashtag, sing a song for me. Oh. Avis Moon 104, Barristan Selmy and Grey Worm get my own for taking on all those Sons of the Harpies by themselves and kicking ass. Hashtag, rest in peace. Uh, Roshni Bambwani says, or just at Arya Granger, that would have been so much easier, <laughs> says, secondary owned to Melisandre for her creative method for getting her vitals checked by Jon Snow. <laughs> Hashtag, can you feel my heart beat? Very creative. Floracita Lannister. OMG, Sir Grandfather. Sir Grandfather. Uh, Ujwal says, owned to the Sons of the Harpy masks, when in unison, they look creepy as fuck. Masks. It's true. It's like a bad horror movie. Yeah. They do that. Dave Court says, hmm, either Jorah owning Tyrion multiple times, <laughs> Barristan to the rescue, or the Sand Snakes owning the sand head of that captain. Worthy option. Kenny Nelson says, my own goes to Tyrion for being the Sherlock Holmes of Westeros and for figuring out Jorah's plan in a snap. I just want to put hashtag it's too easy. Hashtag bear armor. <laughs> that was very Sherlocky. Songbird rescue cat. <laughs> Much as it pains me to say it. Cersei, for arming the lunatic fringe. I doubt it works out, but well done. Well done. Endros Shrouder, own to that feather for surviving longer than anyone else in that opening scene. That's rough. Yeah, at, at Time Travel Wife, my own goes to Smokey the Bear for teaching Bronn good fire safety when he put out the fire before leaving the beach. 
Chris, Barristan Selmy, for not even flinching and heading directly towards the trouble like the badass he is slash was. Hashtag my first own. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for doing that. Barristan lives. House of Black and White, D&D for all those boat scenes, but Gendry is still MIA. They're teasing us. <laughs> He's there. You just got to look for him. He's there in the in background. Every shot. No one at the left lane. I own a giant jar of delicious book, Purest Tears, so pure, they taste as though they came from a fairy fountain in Hyrule. Hey, book, Purest Tears. That's yes. just fodder for us. Drew Higgins, Stan is telling everyone to go to hell and care about his daughter. <laughs> Bill Bennett, Harpies, Sparrows, and Sand Snakes, oh my. What happened to Brienne? Brienne of Tarth. My own goes to Stannis' proud daddy speech. My heart, man. My heart. And I'm usually dead inside. <laughs> Hashtag Game of Thrones. Always good to hear from Brienne. She she usually submits her own every week. On Facebook, Laura Mutton. <laughs> she just writes Melisandre's hashtag Hypnotits. <laughs> Just... That may be the best hashtag we've gotten in a long time. We get a lot do of Amber Ola on Facebook. Own to Stannis for clearly expressing to Shireen how much he truly does care for her. I got lots of likes. Natalie Arthur. I know that Stannis has the emotions of an old cinder block, but he definitely Ooh. owned that father-daughter moment. He did. They should use that for Father's Day. Joe Nieto, own to Tyrion for using his ninja-like logic skills to deduce the whole Jorah situation, ask for wine, and still be annoying whilst gagged, earning himself a pow to the kisser. Poor Tyrion. Oh, right in the kisser. Cam Fusil. Let's slow things down a bit. Own goes to Sir Barristan the Bull, the greatest fighter and most loyal man in all the world. Thank you for being one of my favorite characters in the books all the world. and the show. All the world. You will forever be my king. Aww. You think he was Ned Stark <laughs> or something? Ariel Heyerlich. So many owns. Melisandre owned John. Stannis owned our hearts. But most impressively, Jamie owned prosthetics. <laughs> Clang. <laughs> Clang. But I feel like you only get to use that once. It's like the uh, <laughs> the whistle that gets you to yeah. Bowser's Castle at the end of Mario <laughs> 3. Yeah. Like, it only works once. Like, if, if he keeps using that hand to save his ass, I feel like it's going to get, you know, burned out real fast. Yeah. Owing to that awful foreshadowing in those scenes with Celise, Stannis, and Shireen, hashtag please don't kill her. Oh, Shelly. Jacob Johnson. Owen goes to Obara Sand for her good aim. Hashtag like father, like daughter. Hashtag confirm the kill then. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> hashtag still oh, better. Oh, man. Jasmine M. Valverado says, at first I thought my own would go to all the backstory. Duh. Hashtag Riger the Minstrel. Hashtag Leanna the Queen of Love and Beauty. But then I remembered <laughs> how King Tommen tried to talk to the High Sparrow, and I thought, you can't fault a man for trying. Hashtag my sweet, sweet king. Aw, we at least stay the night? Dylan Johnson, my own, goes to Sir Jorah Mormont with bitch slaps so ruthless it shook the Seven <laughs> Kingdoms. <laughs> Hashtag laying down the law. Amy Otsman. Owned to Jamie and his Full Metal Alchemist shield hand. Damn, it works. His hand's getting a lot of play. Really? Anthony Runyon owned to the Sons of the Harpies for making sure to buy up all the Essos copies of the movie 300 and preventing the Unsullied from learning the important lesson that spear plus sword plus narrow passage equals pure ownage. I like the math there. Louis-Philippe Pallon owned to Celise for making Debbie Downer look like a fun <laughs> hang. <laughs> Jesus, woman. Could you be more of a living bummer? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's amazing read his extra uh, own that's excellent yes extra own yeah put some live scorpions on my face dude that's dedication to the show hashtag we're sand snakes but we're hella down with scorpions too <laughs> joanna rice john's hand on mel's boob one true pairing oh, come <laughs> on. 
<laughs> uh, Ian Loomis says, inappropriate relationships on this episode. Bront, Jamie, quote, your niece. Littlefinger's pervy smooch with Sansa. Mm. And Rhaegar for being a total dick to his wife, his wife, in front of everyone at the tournament yeah, at Harrenhal, just so he could score points with Lyanna. Hashtag, <laughs> check it before you wreck it. God, that is... That's very true. Uh, Eileen Kidder says, My second own goes to Cersei for being the best at cock-blocking Tommen by getting Marjorie so pissed off because Cersei arranged for Loras to be arrested knowing that Tommen wouldn't be able to get him out. Tommen won't be having any more fun while Marjorie is, quote, with her family. <laughs> Hashtag, no Grandma Cersei. Hashtag, no more record breaking. Oh, jeez. Dustin Vansickle says, Own to whatever drug Tyrion and Jon Snow were on when they both rejected half-naked women who were throwing themselves at them. <laughs> Hashtag, I'm not the baby's daddy. Oysen Doyle, my own goes to the writers of the show for clearly setting up R plus L equals J. Rhaegar was talked about by Danny and Barristan, and both Rhaegar and Lyanna were talked about by Baelish and Sansa. And when Stannis' wife talked about Jon's mother being a whore, Stannis said that Ned wouldn't do that, setting the groundwork. Kieran Brooks, owned to Sir Barristan the boss. Quote, even now I could cut through the five of you like carving a cake. Five, try twelve. Hashtag, fuck yeah you can sell me. Carving a cake. And Marcus Patrick Thompson, own goes to the Iron Bank. Hashtag, gotta pay those bills. Gotta pay those bills. Bills, gotta, gotta pay, pay the, the side of the home bills. And gird them. Make sure they're girded. Here it is, our final oh. own of this particular segment from Ashley Sanders. Own of the episode has to go to Grey Worm. To be a eunuch, he sure does have a huge pair. Ilanta <laughs> Kokosi. Wow. It is true, though. Very, very true. That was a amazing... Un- set of owns and hundreds more remain (laughs) unread which is even more uh, particularly i would say almost unsettling we'd love to get to all of these unfortunately it is almost humanly impossible for it to happen but don't let that deter you because the best most interesting ones that micah finds before we put the episode together makes it into our episode yes put all the pressure on my shoulders (laughs) and make me responsible if people (laughs) don't have their owns read I see what you're doing there, but it's amazing to see the amount of owns we get on a weekly basis uh, just for a single episode and the creativity because there are only so many moments that you can come up with, but our listeners find a way to surprise us and to create these unique hashtags and, and just blow us away and, and make us laugh, which I think is 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 cool, man. Like I, I enjoy reading these and I love seeing what people are going to come up with every week. It enriches the material to see it personalized by so many different people, but yet being connected by one stream, yeah. which is the love yeah. of the series and also to be connected by the community that this podcast creates is a very special thing to participate in and really just to, yeah. in general, just to, to, just, to just see happening. So high five to everyone that's building and uh, continuing to build this beast. Sunday is approaching and that entire evening and days following will be a very huge moment for you to throw in on this fifth episode kill the boy which we all know nothing about maybe it's called kill the boy (laughs) that is the name jesus fucking right eric Uh, are you ready how's your body feel i'm not ready for that you gotta be sorry (laughs) we have a show to make shit yes we do don't kill the boy so there are a number of ways that you can get in touch with the show we've 
discuss quite a few of them going through our owns, and uh, we hope that you will uh, share yours this Sunday. Uh, probably the easiest way to do so is tweet at us, at Game of Owns. We like to uh, retweet the ones that we enjoy and uh, share them with the rest of the world. And uh, I think that's become a uh, Sunday night tradition. So uh, we look forward to seeing what you have in store for episode five. Uh, you can also scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns or like the two Kims and Julia did earlier in the episode, you can email us contact at gameofowns.com and we will uh, of course go through those respond in certain cases if we feel the need to or if you're looking for a response uh, but do know that all the emails that you send it to the show get read and um, we look forward to uh, hearing from you in any one of those three ways for those of you who follow uh, goo on several of our accounts for all of the funny content please do uh, note that we do have an instagram it's Instagram uh, username Game of Owns, and it is just as hip and just as cool. We are on Instagram. Go like us, go friend us, go comment on our uh, photos and stuff there. We are posting over at Instagram user Game of Owns. And don't hesitate to take a photograph and tag us as you listen to this episode and also the following episodes. It'll be curious to see what your experience and processes and rituals are like when you turn on our podcast. Right. And we're sure that one of the ways that you do turn on our podcast is on iTunes. So while you're there, we appreciate you giving us your feedback on the show, which is just a simple rate and review. And since we are in the midst of season five and heading towards the middle of the month of May. The fifth month. The fifth month, yes. Uh, nothing less than five stars is acceptable. And we look forward to sharing your very, very intricate insights about our show uh, with other listeners. We can't uh, say thank you enough for not just all the owns that you submit, but also the reviews and feedback that you give us over on iTunes because it is a very, very easy way for other people who are interested in the show Game of Thrones to find out that we exist and we hear about it all the time. You know, we read a couple of first time owns on this, uh, this episode earlier on. So we know that, that we're still growing and people are still coming on board. So, uh, we want them to know that we exist and we need you in order to be able to do that. This is our attempt to join you one last evening, afternoon, morning before the weekend finishes and the fifth episode of the fifth season graces your eye places and your listening places. And it is crazy to think that Sunday marks the halfway point of season five. It's over. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's gone by so quickly, and it's crazy to think that we are going to be, as of Monday morning, Downhill. more than halfway. We're, we are heading towards the finish line. I don't even want to think about it. I'm, going to I'm focus, along for the ride. I'm going to focus all of my energy on making sure that I can wish and pray for long enough that Tommen escapes the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. That's, that's the only character you want to survive the next episode? Uh, the only boy who needs to be killed who shouldn't be killed. Oh, you're referring to the title. Uh-huh. You'll understand what it means after the episode. Don't worry about it. Ladies and gentlemen, don't delay. The season is diminishing before our very eyes. Plans are formulating before our very times. And we'll be back. It all happened so fast. Yes.